It's going to be something that people will be able to go back to and listen to. And also, you guys could go back and refer to, so keep the notes. But I'm going to deal with something that you don't hear preached on enough. But I've written a book about this subject on the Jezebel spirit, and it's on our website for free. And it took, you know, I did research for probably around a decade, and I really took time. It was a difficult book to write because there was such a resistance. But I feel like that it's, it's hit the mark, and so I feel like it's everything God desired it to be. I really do. I feel like it hit the mark as far as what God wanted that book to be. So if people want to go in and read that on our website, also I recommend John Paul Jackson wrote a book called Unmasking the Jezebel Spirit, and those would go really well with this sermon matter. Okay, <clears throat> here we go. Derek Prince made this statement, and I want you guys to really take this to heart because... Derek was probably in the ministry around, I don't know, around 50 years or so. He traveled the world, and he ministered in a lot of different situations and circumstances. He was very familiar with spiritual warfare. And so this statement is not something to take lightly, because this guy would know what he's talking about, okay? And when I read this, it just really stuck with me, because it's so true and I 100% agree with it, okay? But it's going to kind of open things up for our sermon tonight. He said, and this was out of his book, it's called Called to Conquer, and it's in chapter 6, and it's at the introduction. And he said this, I want to present what I consider to be the greatest single hindrance to fulfilling one's calling at this present time. How many want to fulfill what God's called you to do? Man, I do. He said he felt that this was the single greatest hindrance. He said, I think that this force especially targets men, and even more particularly, men who would be leaders in the church. If I were to give you a hundred guesses, I do not believe you would guess correctly. The particular force that hinders Christian men and women from fulfilling their callings and achieving their destiny in God is witchcraft. And that's all I'm going to deal with tonight. It is the major enemy of God that binds millions of individuals from their calling or from fulfilling their calls and being effective in God's army. Now, I want you to notice that, trying to hinder them from fulfilling their destiny in God. Make them ineffective. And I mean to tell you that I know many other pastors that are friends of mine, and I, this is a very serious battle. I have faced this on many levels, and I know other ministers that I know have as well. This is a very serious battle. And this battle with witchcraft has to do with people fulfilling their destiny in God. And this is the force that Satan tries to use to make people ineffective. So let me go ahead and just kind of go through some of this. God has called pastors to pastor sheep, not goats. All right? Amen. Nobody got that yet. Okay, so sheep kind of follow. It'll get, it'll get it there in a moment. It, sheep follow. Goats are always bucking up against, okay? And so when you're dealing with the spirit of witchcraft and people, you're dealing with people that are going to continually buck up against authority. And God just cannot bless that. And God, it's a door for the devil. And so there needs to be a healthy honoring of authority. And I know when I go places, I've had the opportunity to minister for different pastors I know what it feels like being in the ministry, and I know every pastor knows this. 
We all know how it feels to be dishonored and disrespected by people. It just goes with the territory. But every time I go minister for other pastors and other leaders, one of the more recent times I was ministering for a friend of mine across the Metroplex, and he wanted me to come minister on things like spiritual warfare and deliverance. So I took my wife, and I had her give her testimony, and we kind of tag-teamed this. But I made it a point that when I was up there, and I talked about rebellion some, but I made it a point to try to really honor him to, to, you know, in front of his people. And see, somebody that is rebellious and has the spirit of witchcraft, they will try to disrespect a, a minister or a husband or something like that. They'll try to dishonor, disrespect a male authority figure in front of their family, in front of their parishioners. And so every time I go places, I try to really honor that pastor in front of his congregation. So let me give you some things to think about. I've dealt so much with this over the years. This is just kind of a, almost a cursory view. It'll be in depth in some ways, but I want to just deal with this because right now I'm dealing with Mikdash, but remember I talked about the travels of David? See, Saul was an illegitimate authority. Once Saul was rejected by God and was supposed to be removed from power, he remained an authority, and at that point, he became an illegitimate authority. He was no longer endorsed by God. And so Saul, as an illegitimate authority, began to pursue David and try to kill him, who was actually God's legitimate authority. You see what I'm saying? And also, Saul ended up going to a witch to get information and Saul was tormented by demons because he was, you know, a rebel. And so here's a couple things. The biblical definition of witchcraft. Now, this is in the Bible. It's interesting because when you talk about witchcraft, a lot of people picture, you know, like a, especially here in America, they don't have a clue about these sort of things. It's just a cultural thing. But people picture some woman in like a pointy hat, you know, stirring the cauldron. And she's got like a little pet black cat, you know, that sort of thing. And and she's got maybe some little potions or something. And some weirdo that lives somewhere on the corner of a street that everybody avoids. And maybe a haunted house or something like that. But people don't really understand witchcraft in America very well. That's not really the biblical definition. And God takes witchcraft very seriously. So here, let me give you some things. Number one, witchcraft, the Bible says in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty three that rebellion is as witchcraft. So rebellion against God-ordained authority. And in America, I've said this already, but I'm going to go through it quickly. America's strong man is a spirit of rebellion. Intercessors better hear that and begin to pray. Because this is a serious issue. When America was founded, we were a colony under Britain. And the, the colonists began to buck up against Britain. And I believe that it was 100% God's will that America become independent of Britain. I really do. But that doesn't take away from the fact that the people of that time were operating in a wrong spirit. They were rebelling against authority. And in that re rebellion, it's interesting to this day, in Britain, they'll refer to America's uh, independence. They refer to it that way as America's independence. But in America, we always call it a revolution. And there's something about what I'm saying. It's a, re a revolting. It's a bucking up against authority. And even though I believe it was ultimately God's will for us to break free, I do. And I love America. 
But it doesn't take away from the fact that it was founded in rebellion. And to this day, there's such a, there has been such a spirit of rebellion in this nation. People that come here from other countries are shocked at the way, and they've said this. I've heard them say it. They're shocked at the way people talk about their leaders in this nation. And it's, you know, you see in this nation, you see men that don't want to lead their families in the ways of God, so they're rebelling against God there. You see wives that don't want to submit to their husbands. That's rebellion against God Almighty. And you see children. What do you see in, in our society with children? You see children that are rebelling against parents. The Bible calls it witchcraft. And also in the school system, you see young people that are rebelling against authority. And so this is very pervasive in our society. And any time rebellion starts to really take root, it's going to lead to a lot of other things. And that's why you see in America, we've seen over the last several decades, a rise of witchcraft in the occult in our nation because rebellion is connected to witchcraft. Number one, it's a big door. Number two, illegitimate authority. When God anointed through Elisha, he anointed a man named Jehu. And Jehu was, he was a rough, hardened warrior. He was a military man. He didn't take anything off anybody. He was basically like a John Wayne, okay? He was known in the Bible, he was riding his chariot, and they saw him way off, and they said, well, that's Jehu, because he's driving like a madman, like insane. Look at him, you know? He was just a rough guy, and God knew what he was doing when he anointed Jehu to deal with Jezebel, because it took somebody like that. And in this passage here, in 2 Kings 9.22, he had been commissioned by Elisha to go take down Jezebel and to take down that, um, that whole line, to deal with it, break the power of that um, royal line, and to remove him from power. And so Jehu was a rough, loud, strong individual. He wasn't going to take anything off anybody. He wasn't going to put up with any rebellion. He wasn't going to put up with anything. You hear what I'm saying? You cannot put up, you cannot play games with this type of spirit. You know, you're going to have to take a stand against it. And Jehu rides up and somebody asked him, said, are you coming in peace? And he said, how can there be peace as long as the idolatry and the witchcraft of Jezebel prevail? And he shouted up into this tower. He said, those that are with us, throw her down. And there were some eunuchs that grabbed that witch and threw her out the window. Down she comes. She died when she hit the ground. And the dogs licked her blood, which fulfilled a prophecy. So anyway, Jezebel was an illegitimate authority. What concerns me is that you see in our culture, and you see it unfortunately, we've seen a lot of it in the body of Christ, where people are in positions of authority that God did not put there. This is a big deal with God. Very big deal with God. You have, let's start with the home. You have a wife that now is trying to control the husband. She's trying to wear the pants. I remember this, uh, this guy. He was a part of the a Jewish group called the Hasidim. And it would almost be the best way to describe them would be like the Amish. Okay, it's like the Jewish Amish. And they'll live kind of off to themselves. And their culture goes way back. And modern American, especially liberal women had a real problem man they hated them and i remember hearing some of these women go off and griping and they felt they were so oppressive and all this 
And this man that was part of this Hasidim, he said, I don't understand what they're so upset about. He said, and I'll never forget this because it was so true for uh, society. He said, in our culture, we don't have husbands that want to be women. And we don't have women that want to be men. We don't have parents that want to be the children. And we don't have children that want to be the parents. He said the, the children are happy. He said the wives are happy being wives. And he just didn't understand. But see, it's that spirit of rebellion in this nation. But illegitimate authority there, but in the church world. You see people that through politics, this is so important. Please remember this. Because a lot of people don't understand this. You see people that have been raised up to positions of influence in local churches and in denominations. It was a popularity contest. They got there because of money or they're popular or whatever. They got voted in by man. And they've been raised up. And a lot of times it's not God. It's man. And you understand that when God has not put somebody in authority and anointed them to be in that position, they begin to have to function under a spirit of witchcraft to control everybody. Because they don't have biblical authority. They don't have authority from God. They don't have an anointing to be there. They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit to be doing what they're doing. So they have to resort to a, a spirit of witchcraft to control. That's illegitimate authority. And God anointed Jehu to go in there because he knew that he had some backbone and to pull that thing down. That was illegitimate authority that was put there by the devil to reach up and begin to pull that thing completely down and destroy it. And he was going to walk in and take over because he was God's authority. So number one, witchcraft in the Bible is rebellion. Number two, it's illegitimate authority. We don't need people that are raised up by man. We don't need people that are raised up by the world. And we certainly don't need people that are raised up by the devil. We need people that God has anointed and raised them up to put them in the position that they are. And when you've truly been put there by God and anointed, then you can trust God because God's got your back. And you don't have to resort to weird control and stuff like that. And there are ministries and ministers out there that have started different things, projects, ministries, that it was never started by God. It was started by man. And it's illegitimate. The next thing in biblical witchcraft would be illegitimate source of power. You're going to have power come from either God or the devil. You understand there's not a third source. So if there's supernatural power going on, it's either going to be from God Almighty or it's going to be from the devil. And Revelation 21.8 talks about the dark arts, that people that practice the dark arts, black magic and all that, will be in the lake of fire. They're going to burn in hell. But let me tell you, that these things are very serious and God takes this stuff very serious and when you read the Bible I can give you some stories which I will tonight to some degree 
But you can see that God took witchcraft in the Bible very serious and dealt with it very seriously. But the way that people operate in witchcraft is through different satanic rituals, which I don't want to get a lot into, but they learn how to do certain things to use demons and release that out to control people and control situations. It's all about control. And so they begin to learn how to use the dark arts to control other people. And it's very satanic and very evil. The next one you see in the Bible is soul hunting, and that's connected to this. The Bible talks about witches that hunt souls, and I'm going to talk more about that here in a moment. But finally, you also see, under the, the definition, if you will, of witchcraft, you see ungodly control, manipulation, intimidation, domination. Galatians 5.19 says the works of the flesh are evident, and it gives witchcraft. Now, how in the world is witchcraft a work of the flesh? Well, it's kind of like a snake. A snake has two fangs. One fang would be the works of the flesh, if you will, but the other one is the dark arts. The works of the flesh, when you deal with witchcraft of the flesh, it's people that are trying to control others. And so you're going to see maybe a, a woman that's manipulating, she's seductive, or she's, um, she knows how to get what she wants or something like that. Or you'll see somebody that's real intimidating. They try to belittle people, tear them down. They try to control them, make them feel stupid, things like that. Or dominating. Dominating would be where somebody has a position of authority, but they really abuse that, and they really beat people down and dominate them in a very, very ungodly way. That would be, for an example, would be maybe a drunk husband that comes in and beats his wife and kids and, and just really oppresses them and uses that to control them. I know a pastor who grew up in an environment where he had a father that was that way, and his mother became a Christian and wanted to take him to church, and every Sunday he would beat her until she bled because she took him to church. See, that is domination. All right, the results of witchcraft. When there is witchcraft circulating, here's some things that you'll see. Number one, chronic sickness and fatigue. People will, feel, people will have chronic health problems, and also there'll be a fatigue. They'll, they'll be tired and not know why. Number two, financial suppression. They won't understand it, but finances just seem to be not where they should be. Number three, relational division. There'll be a lot of strife, a lot of fighting. Number four, difficulty praying. They'll find it very difficult to seek God whenever they try to pray something like a wall is there. The next one is paranormal activity. They might experience some strange things in their home. They don't know why. But they'll hear noises, they'll hear doors open and shut, there's just some strange things going on. And also they might have weird dreams or things happen to them in the night that they don't understand. It's, it's very bizarre. They know something is not right, but they don't know what it is. And also, when witchcraft is involved, you can see that there'll be a lot of setbacks and a lot of con overall confinement. Where things should be 
further along, but every time it seems like you start moving forward and doing really well, something happens to be a major setback to pull it back down. And also, where things should be expanding, it seems like it's confined. And let me tell you, this region has really had a serious battle with this. And what you see many times when there's witchcraft, like in a geographic region that's really strong and pervasive, you'll see that that the ministries and the ministers and all that's of God. You remember in the days of Elijah? Think back to the stories. Elijah was living in a time when Jezebel ruled supreme. And so that was a stronghold over the nation, right? During that time, think about it. Elijah... And all of his fellow prophets, all of his comrades, Jezebel had sought to kill as many as she possibly could. And they were prophets of God that died before their time. I hope everybody's really paying attention to what I'm saying. There's people that were of God that died before their time because of a spirit of witchcraft. Also, they were confined. They had to live in caves and in hiding. Because they were being pursued. And Elijah found himself, even though he was God's man of power and authority at that time, he ended up prophesying over Ahab and Jezebel that there wasn't going to be rain and God was going to send a great famine. When you see in a region a spirit of witchcraft, you're also going to see that it becomes very spiritually dry. There's a lack of revival. But yet Elijah ends up by God at a brook, Kareth, where he was drinking of the living waters there, if you will, and he was eating meat that was given to him by ravens. He was supernaturally provided for that even though all around him was famine, Elijah was experiencing a personal revival. The streams of water, the meat of the word, like revelation was coming to him. And then later, God had him tucked away like that and was ministering to him. And when you're in that type of situation, you've got a lot of time to pray. You've got a lot of time to hear from God. And you know as well as I do, Elijah got, you know, he probably wrote down a lot of revelation God gave him, you know. And when it was time, though, Elijah came out of that in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in the fullness of time, Elijah found himself where God had placed him on Mount Carmel. God had raised him up. I'm trying to show you some symbolism here. He went up. God had brought him up. And then he was able to rebuild the altar that Jezebel tore down. Rebuilding ancient ruins, if you will, Isaiah 58. And here they were with this showdown. And he felt like he was the only true prophet alive that all of them had been killed. And all these 450 prophets of Baal and all that, there was a lot of people there that were false prophets it seems like biblically for every one true prophet you have hundreds of false hello and elijah told the people you know choose who you're going to serve and they let him he let him call on Baal. nothing happened and then he prayed and called on god fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice all the people fall on their face and repent get right with god what is that true revival the the spirit of god coming down 
Now the false prophets are exposed and dealt with for what they are. And the people, what? They fall on their face and repent. I love revival. But the greatest part, the greatest aspect of any true revival is that people are getting right with God. Remember that. It doesn't need to be focused on other things like angels. And I love healings and I love deliverance. I love all of that. It all has its place and it's all important. But the main focus needs to be that Jesus Christ is glorified in every possible aspect and that people are getting right with God. That needs to be number one. And Elijah dealt with that. And as he, everybody repenting got right with God, Jezebel now is, you know, there's like a backlash. And Elijah has to, you know, he flees. He shouldn't have. But he ends up coming under that attack of Jezebel. And think about this. That great man of God, when that Jezebel spirit attacked him, even though he was so anointed, he went into a depression to the degree that he wanted to die. And he went under a tree and he was praying that God would kill him. And he ends up going down, down, down. God had just raised him up, but see, depression set in. And he went down, 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 and he ended up in this cave, and he was depressed, and he was whining to God about how he was the only one left. And God had to really touch him and get him um, back out there in the game, if you will. And he was used to anoint Hazael, king of Aram. He, he, had, he was involved in anointing Jehu, who dealt with Jezebel through Elisha, and he anointed Elisha. But anyway, the story is that whenever you see a, a region like ours where witchcraft has been very pervasive, you're going to see that. You'll see illegitimate authority. True biblical authority, the ministers in the churches that are truly of God, there's going to be such a resistance they're facing. But things that are not really of God, it's of man, they get a free ticket. They're not facing any warfare. Hello? I had a dream years ago in 2004. I had no idea what was coming. But this was a dream from God, and I have no doubt that today we're going to see the fulfillment of it. But here's what happened. In this dream, it was a huge man-made structure like a, like a skyscraper, and I was on the top penthouse floor, and all around me was glass, and I was up there praying. And I was just spending time with the Lord. I was by myself. And there was this huge NASA rocket that took off. And it was, this was like beachfront property. So this rocket was on the beach. And it took, it took off. And when it did, one of, they have two boosters on each side of these rockets. One of them fell into the ocean. And the other one fell into this man-made structure in the middle. It struck it right in the middle. And when it did... I was standing, I was watching this, so I had walked up to the edge, and I was standing by the glass, and I was watching it strike the building. And there was a woman down there that was down several floors that was sunbathing or whatever, and when that thing hit, she let out a blood-curdling scream, and it sounded exactly like, remember me telling you the story earlier about that young lady that was delivered in that meeting where everybody got behind me, you know. Anyway, it, one of the spirits I cast out was a spirit of witchcraft. And when it came out, it was this high-pitched scream. I mean, the type of thing that makes your blood curdle, makes the hair stand up, right? It was one of those screams. And that's what this lady, when, the, when this building was struck, she let out that blood-curdling scream. 
and the building begins to collapse forward into the ocean. And I knew that when this was happening, I was going to have to, all of my swimming skills, you know, you're dreaming, so you have some really awesome skills, right? All of my swimming skills, everything was going to have to kick in. And so anyway, the building strikes the ocean, the glass breaks, and I knew that debris was going to be coming down all around me, that this was a serious ordeal. A lot of people were going to die. And so I, I went with what was going on. I went down and forward with the momentum that that thing had created. And when I came up the other side in the ocean, that crash had created a tsunami. And I was caught in that tsunami. It was a good thing. And I was just riding it. And there were some other people with me. But the point is that what that dream represents is God is about to do this. You watch. It's about to happen. And I believe it probably has to do with our region, but it might have to do with the whole nation. But there are things in our region that profess um, Christianity, you know. And I, I'm not against anybody. I'm not criticizing anybody. But it's just man-made structures. And that's been what has, um, that's been controlling the people. And when God begins to move in revival, that revival is going to strike what's of man, what's man-made, and it's going to crash. And that crash will be so great that it's going to create a tsunami of the Holy Spirit revival that's going to affect many. Anyway, God's about to deal with this witchcraft in this region, and I know you guys are looking forward to that as much as I am. All right. Here's a couple more things for our close. In Galatians, Galatians 3.1, Paul said, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So this word in the Greek is witchcraft. And the Galatian church had been mightily touched by God through Paul's ministry, no doubt had experienced some kind of revival at the beginning to get it started. But now some people who were Judaizers, which were people that believed that everybody that was Gentile had to become Jewish before they could be a Christian. And the Apostle Paul really had to deal with those people. But they had gone there to Galatia and began to try to turn people back to Judaism. And the Apostle Paul was confronting this, and he told them, he said, who has bewitched you? He was, saying, he was trying to expose a spirit of witchcraft. When a spirit of witchcraft sets in, there's a lot of deception. Now let me show you something, Ezekiel 13, 17. During the days of Ezekiel, the people of God had gone in captivity. And Ezekiel was living in a time, even though he was Levitical, he was living in a time where the people of God were in captivity, and God gave him this vision. And he said, Now, son of man, set your face against the daughters of your people who prophesy out of their own imagination. Now, I want you to take heart about what I'm reading. When you're dealing with a spirit of Jezebel, you're dealing with a spirit of witchcraft, you've got false prophets that will prophesy out of their own imagination. I've seen this where people used to be true prophets of God and they got true revelation, but a spirit of witchcraft set into them. And now, it's, it's weird. He said, prophesy against them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. 
Woe to the women who sew magic charms on their wrists and make veils of various lengths for their heads in order to ensnare people. These were satanic rituals. Will you ensnare the lives of my people but preserve your own? You profane me among my people for a few handfuls of barleys and, and scraps of bread by lying to my people who listen to lies. You have killed those who should not have died and you have spared those who should not have lived. See, this is witchcraft. She, these women were being used like a witch doctor or a shaman that people were going to them and giving them money to begin to put curses on people that they didn't like or to put some kind of a, you know, quote, big air quotes, blessing on people that they did like. And God was saying, you've caused the death of those that should not have died. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against your magic charms with which you ensnare people like birds. I will tear them from your arms. I will set free the people that you, that you ensnare like birds. I will tear off your veils and save my people from your hands. And they will no longer fall prey to your power. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Because you disheartened the righteous with your lies. When I brought them no grief. And because you encouraged the wicked not to turn from their evil ways and so save their lives. Do you see that? This spirit of witchcraft caused the righteous to be discouraged in their righteousness. But caused the wicked to feel encouraged in their wickedness. I'm going to share something here in a moment about that. Therefore you will no longer see false visions or practice divination. I will save my people from your hands, and then you will know that I am the Lord. I believe with all my heart, I am not just saying this tonight because of the sermon. I believe God is about to deal with witchcraft in this region. There's too many people that are praying for revival. I believe that God's going to come down. And you have to understand a couple things. Joel chapter 2, which I preached on during Pentecost this year, 2017 Pentecost that we have. I dealt with how God was bringing restoration. But if you read Joel 2, it was in a time of revival. I believe that, you know, a lot of things are going to happen in people's lives as far as, you know, different things like healing and provision, all that, because that's part of the atonement. But I believe the great major restorations, I'm talking about citywide, nationwide, major things are going to happen in revival. But let me tell you something real quickly about confusion. There's, there's something, I'll try to make this as simple and as quick as I can, but there's actually a couple codes in the Bible that are, that are actually there, not hidden, they're open. And one of them, it's really interesting. You can look this up for yourself, just Google it. But it's called, the, the rabbis and leaders like that call it atbash because of this reason. All right, there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so follow me. The first 11, if you have them written like this, from left to right, and then you take the next 11 and go from right to left underneath it. So now you have a way of making a code. Because if you want to spell a word, you can use the, word, the letter underneath it. And it's not going to make any sense to somebody that doesn't know what you're doing. And so this was a code, and in Jeremiah, it's in two places where Jeremiah did this. And the word is used, Shishek, for Babel. You think, why in the world? But those that study this stuff, I mean, really thoroughly, um, it, they said that it's a, it's a Hebrew code. And back in the day, these type of codes were used for different reasons. Well, think about it. We use it in our military. We use different codes so that the enemy doesn't know what we're talking about. 
anyway, this was a code. And if you look at the two lines, underneath the B is the SH, and underneath um, L was the cough, and so you had that Shishak, and it, it meant Babel. Well, I said that to say this. You read that, and you think, why in the world is that in the Bible? Why in the world did Jeremiah prophesy Babel and use that word and that code? It's reversed, and it's confusing. But I think that's exactly why he did it. See, the word Babel means confusion. And Babylon is connected with witchcraft. I could rabbit trail for a long time. I'm not going to. But in these latter days, the Bible talks a lot about Babylon. And it talks a lot about witchcraft. But Babylon, see, this is how witchcraft works. It brings a lot of confusion and flips everything around. Have you ever wondered why it is that Israel is just trying to mind their own business? They just want to be left alone, to be honest with you. And they're out there, and they, they, they don't do anything the media accuses them of, you know. And the terrorist will sit there and launch missile after missile after missile. They'll go across their borders and stab as many people as they can. And then when Israel finally has had enough and retaliates, the terrorists will be over there and put women and children in front of them and and barricade themselves in hospitals so that it ends up making trying to make Israel look bad. And when the news media gets done with it, Israel started it. Israel did everything wrong. And you're thinking, how in the world do people that have even a little bit of common sense think that Israel is actually the bad guy here? But it's witchcraft. Just like Jeremiah used that flip-flop, Shishek for Babel, he flipped it. In the same way, witchcraft turns everything around. You'll take somebody. I've seen this so many times in churches, just a pastor and different leaders just trying to do the right thing, serve God. And you've got some little Jezebel over here that causes problems. And at the end of the day, when the smoke clears, that little Jezebel wants to look like a little victim that never did anything wrong. It's just misunderstood and oppressed. Poor little thing. And the, the male authority figure is made to look like the bad guy. That's witchcraft. It's trying to turn everything around and bring confusion. So here's the last couple things I want to deal with. In 2 Kings 3.27, the king of Moab was scared because Israel had come and was going to go to war with him. And he, he, he saw that his military forces were being defeated. So the king of Moab, he took his oldest son who was to reign in his place and offered him as a burnt offering on the wall. This is human sacrifice. I want you to picture this king takes his firstborn son and takes a knife, slits his throat, kills him, and is human sacrifice to his demon god that he worships, with the, which the Moabites worship, Chemosh. And think about it for a moment. Molech and Chemosh. These were also the demon gods that God hated so much because people would pass their children through the fire. It was a human sacrifice of their children. Anyway, he sacrificed his son on the wall. Now look, look at what happened though. This is the interesting thing in the Bible. Israel was prevailing. I mean prevailing. And all of a sudden... It says there came great wrath against Israel and they departed from him and returned to their own land. Read that. 
Go back over and read that. It's interesting to me because even it doesn't say that Moab did anything militarily. The only thing that changed was while they were suffering great loss and losing, now this king sacrifices his son a human sacrifice. Something spiritually released against Israel, the Bible calls it great wrath, but something in the spirit realm began to come against them. And the Bible says that they simply turned, turned and went home. It's interesting to me that Goliath could hold back a nation. That's witchcraft of the flesh. Y'all following me? Intimidation. How in the world could one man, because you're thinking an entire army, if they just simply surrounded him and started having hundreds of people surround him, they eventually could take the guy down. But yet, some kind of a supernatural intimidation was behind that man. It was witchcraft of the flesh. He had him intimidated. Number two, it's interesting to me that Delilah could steal a man's destiny. Samson was such a mighty man of God. He was a Nazarite from birth. And yet, he ended up being seduced and manipulated by an evil woman. And it cost him everything. That's manipulation. Witchcraft of the flesh. It's interesting to me that in the Bible, the king of Moab could practice the dark arts and something like that happened. And God took it very seriously. If you read the story, which I cannot get into it tonight, but Balaam, Balaam was basically a shaman, a witch doctor. And, and if you go read about his life in other writings other than just the Bible, it kind of it talks a little bit more about him. He was somebody that kings were familiar with. He was somebody that was well-known. He was somebody that had spent time with Pharaoh. His son, his two sons were Janus and Jambres that were mentioned by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. The very ones that Moses had to deal with, remember? With his rod turned to a serpent and then they mimicked it. That was most likely Balaam's sons according to other writings. Balaam was somebody that was a shaman, a witch doctor. And the king of Moab, this was, of course, many years before this story I just read you, but the king of Moab was scared of Israel and hired Balaam to come and put a curse on him. It's interesting to me that when you read that, you would think in America, people think that's just a joke and it's just superstitious. Well, isn't it interesting that God didn't seem to think so? Why in the world did God care? Why did God speak to him and say, you better watch your mouth? Why did God send an angel to stand in front of him. Why did God make his donkey talk? I wish I would have seen that. The point I'm trying to make is, is that God never denies that there's witchcraft. God doesn't take it lightly. We don't need to deny it. We don't need to take it lightly. But we also need to understand that we have authority over it. And so Balaam tried to curse Israel, but he could not prevail. He ended up having to bless them. And he spoke out a blessing that to this day, to this day, that is spoken whenever Jewish people go to church. It's, they speak that matovu, ohalek. And it means um, how goodly, how blessed are your tents, Jacob, your dwelling places, Israel. And I don't have time to get into that, but it was the individual tents and then the tabernacle. But he spoke that. And to this day, that blessing is still recited all the time 
here's the last couple things. James 3.13. Who among you is wise and understanding and let him show it by his good behavior, his deeds, and gentleness and wisdom? But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant lie against the truth. How many times do we see bitterness among Christians? How many times do we see jealousy among Christians? How many times do we see selfish ambition? How many people are all about self-promotion? He says in verse 15 there, This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it is earthly, it is natural or carnal, and it is demonic. Did you ever stop and really think about those three things? He's saying in churches, among God's people, where you see bitterness, and you see jealousy, and you see selfish ambition, you see people that are trying to promote themselves and compete with one another, he said this type of stuff does not come from God. He said this is earthly, it's of the world, it's of the flesh, and it's from demons. He said, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom that's from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good works, or good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is sown as righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And the Bible warns us in these latter days, we better put all this stuff out. You hear what I'm saying? I really believe that for the most part, God's blessed river of life to be the majority of people have been those that really love God with all their heart enough that they say, Lord, just get out of me whatever needs to be gotten out of me. Do a work in me. See, that type of humility and repentance and sincerity, people like that are going to be okay at the end of the day. But it's people that are not like that that could possibly have some problems. In 1 Timothy 4, 1, the Bible clearly says in the latter days, um, some will fall away from the faith. And there's other places this is mentioned. In Thessalonians, Paul said there'd be a falling away or rebellion. There's going to be some that fall away from the faith. Listen to this, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. See, this stuff has to do with witchcraft. And this is stuff that's going on. Unfortunately, I look at some of the things that is being preached or not preached, some of the things that's being put up in churches that shouldn't be, and some of the things that should be going on, like moves of God, moves of the Holy Spirit, that are not. And you see this confusion. You see this flip flipping around of things. And it's things that are not good are made to look good. Things that are bad are made to look good. You see what I'm saying? It's like a weird confusion and disorder, and things are... It's a spirit. It's like a spirit of babble, confusion, deceitful demons, doctrines of demons, teaching that makes people feel okay in their sin. God help us. I pray by the mercy and grace of God that I never fall into a deception that I would ever make somebody feel that they could live in sin and go to heaven. That takes a very special kind of deception right there, but it's pervasive. And here's what the spirit of witchcraft, you say, well, what is the end game? The witchcraft against God's people, you're going to see pride. Pride that they don't want to deal with stuff in their life they should deal with. They're going to double down. They're not going to repent. 
nobody's going to tell me what to do type of attitude they're prideful and they're rebellious and it's division the end game is to divide God's people and also to render ineffective just like Derek Prince talked about at the beginning what is trying to steal men of God's destiny what's trying to steal churches destinies see it's churches that are planted by God and it's really of God they have a destiny in God what is trying to render them ineffective? Witchcraft in the church. And here's how we overcome, and I'm going to give you a, a prophecy just recently came out. We overcome through prayer, fasting, consecrating our lives. Basically, Isaiah 58. The Bible says to get the sin out. Remember that? Quit the pointing of the finger. Quit the evil speaking. Quit being oppressive. Repent. Pray. Fast. Give. Get your life right. And if people will really come together and pray and fast and unify, then this type of stuff can be broken. Number one, persistent prayer and fasting. Number two, you're going to have to recognize, you're going to have to discern it and take authority over it. That's the problem a lot of times. People don't discern what's going on. A lot of times people just want to ignore this type of stuff that is just some kind of superstitious thing. No, it's in the Bible. It's real. It's serious. God takes it serious. He wants us to take it serious, and he wants us to confront it. I'm going to tell you something. Every, Goliath had everybody else lying down behind a, some kind of a hill, and they were scared and all that. And David, a little shepherd boy, goes running at Goliath. Did you ever read that in the Bible? David wasn't standing back there scared. David ran toward him and ended up cutting his head off, literally. Big old giant head. He's carrying that ugly thing. You know Goliath was ugly, man. He's carrying that ugly head. He cut it off. You know why he took it off? Because he ran at him. He was not going to be intimidated. Witchcraft was not going to prevail against David. He was God's anointed. Also, speaking blessings. Be careful what you say. Man, some people's, I think some people's mouths are their own worst enemy. But I, you know, speaking blessings, I'm thankful for my father speaks a blessing over us regularly. I speak a blessing over you, but speaking blessings helps to, you know, overpower the curses that may be trying to be and spoke over uh, churches or whatever. Also, faithful giving. A lot of people don't realize that your finances can come under kingdom blessing if you'll be faithful giving. And that witchcraft that wants to squeeze the life out of your finances can be broken as you do what the Bible says to do. And deeply consecrating your life. And finally, make sure that your home is in order and the church is in order. You don't want a church that's got illegitimate authority. You don't want to put little Queen Jezebel over something. You want to make sure there's order and things are right in a church. Let me read to you this prophecy in light of what I'm preaching that Cindy Jacobs just sent out. This just came out. She said, as I was praying, I saw this vision, and it was roadblocks. It's like everywhere you went, there was these blockages, and you could not get through. And the Lord is saying there's a spirit of delay. Remember when Rick Curry was with us, he said, no more delay in Dallas. I feel we need to take authority over that. He said, And she said, now that's an unusual thing, but that's what I'm getting. There's a spirit of delay that is trying to stop you from getting where you need to go. We talk about our destiny in God here. Satan tries to put a Goliath. That was either David was either going to allow Goliath 
to abort his destiny in God or he was going to run at Goliath, take his head off and go right through that roadblock into his destiny. And it ended up that Goliath was the stepping stone that catapulted him into his destiny, if you will, at least the first step that way. And some of you I see, she says, not only is it delayed, but I see what we call an occult spirit. Now, the word occult means hidden or hiding. And many people don't understand how this operates in a person's life. An occult spirit will hide the way to go. An occult spirit tries to remain hidden, causing problems, but also hide the way that you need to go. Many people have said to me recently that there feels like there's so much witchcraft right now, so much opposition, and this is true. And how is it working is bringing about delay in your life, delay from getting where you need to go. It's frustrating. And the other thing is they're seemingly uh, like an occult spirit. And what I see how this works is it's bringing confusion. Now think about everything I've preached on tonight. This, is, this fits so perfectly. I created this sermon a, while, a couple weeks ago, and I just got this, but this fits. See, witchcraft has so much to do with confusion. It's Babylon. You're not able to think straight. Not only that, you're not able to see the way to go. So first, you need to bind that occult spirit in the name of Jesus, that spirit of witchcraft that's trying to hinder you from seeing where to go. You need to bind it. And right now I ask the Holy Spirit, she's praying to breathe on you and begin to blow upon you that what is stopping your vision will dissipate in Jesus' name. And she began to pray and bind that spirit. And then she just goes on to encourage people, this is not the time to be passive. When you're dealing with witchcraft, you're dealing with Jezebel, you cannot be passive. And I've, unfortunately, there's some people that have been, you know, like enemies because of the fact I wasn't going to put up with certain stuff. But I'm just saying this to encourage you. You cannot, you cannot come in agreement with Jezebel. You cannot do it. If you let that thing control you, you let people control you, and you let that evil spirit into a church, it will destroy. It will literally destroy a church from the inside out, and you can't come into agreement with it. And there's some people that have really got bent out of shape with me, but here's the bottom line. Different people have dealt with that, but there are some people that are so humble that they get on their face, say, Jesus, just get this out of me. Forgive me. And the Lord delivers them, and now they're fine. There's other people that are like, well, I'm fine. Quit meddling in my business. They'll never change. And you should read the prophecies about how God deals with a Jezebel in Revelation 2.20 about being cast on a bed of sickness, killing, striking children dead, and read about Jezebel's endgame in, in Kings where the Bible says the dogs licked her blood. And maybe take inventory and say, you know what? I just don't want that in my life. Amen. I don't want the Bible saying that that's going to be the end game for me. All right. But God's about to deal with it. I close with this. God is about to deal with witchcraft in this region and in this nation. You mark my word. God is sending angels and they are going on assignment to begin to get people in places and situations and circumstances and things that are not right. God is beginning to clear these things out of the way so that the church and so the people of God can go forward into what God has for them. Whew. All right, here's what I want to do tonight. We're going to pray for people. 
I felt a strong anointing tonight. I believe God's going to touch people. I encourage you to get prayer. 